Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm excited to be joined by Anne Wang, creative strategist, producer, and CEO and co-founder of Enro, an online story-driven marketplace for the socially conscious consumer. Anne is a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur, and she's passionate about the intersection of impact, entertainment, and technology to generate cultural change in topics like mental health, wellness, global poverty, and diversity. She also serves on the board of directors for the UCLA Alumni Association. Anne graduated from UCLA with a BA in International Development Studies. Anne, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. We're excited to chat with you. Thanks for having me. So to start us off, can you tell us what inspired you to start Enro, and can you share more about what you're currently working on? Sure, yeah. So I actually was a senior at UCLA, so it wasn't like I had set out to start a company per se. It was a little bit more like, you know, I always had some ideas and a great group of friends that definitely went along for the ride whenever one of these ideas came up. And I think where it stemmed from was I was really involved, obviously, with international development as my major, but also had worked with a lot of NGOs and traveled quite a bit um, to various areas around the world and just kind of saw this growing market both on the consumer side, so with millennials and eventually Gen Z, this like deep demand for conscious and impactful and real products that told a story and made an impact. Um, And that was me very much so, but not finding a lot of places where I could discover products that actually were impactful based upon a couple of pillars, which we can talk about later. But Um, Yeah, so I just felt like a lot of people wanted to, you know, do good and buy well, but there weren't a lot of options out there with legitimate impact. There was a lot of like one for one models or percentage back. But from my academic perspective, I wanted to find a way where we could actually invest in individuals in various communities around the world who might not have access to sustainable income through buying. So how could we actually employ and empower somebody through our purchasing uh, power instead of, you know, again, a percentage back? So that was kind of the start of the idea. And I had a really good friend who comes from the fashion side of things and really understood fashion and consumer marketing. And um, we just joined forces and kept on putting pen to paper and telling our story to as many people who would listen. And that snowballed into what I think turned into a real company and startup. And one day we kind of woke up and said, oh my goodness, like how did we get from this almost fun project where we gathered everyone on a Tuesday night once a week just to, you know, dream and create and got some great talent and designers into, you know, winning Forbes 30 under 30 um, and investment and having insane investors, you know, come in and, and believe in the vision and give us support financially to, to actually keep building. So it was a little bit of a whirlwind um, and we were absolutely passionate and honest and I think in, in the goal of what we were trying to build and not so much focused on building a company. It was much more about solving the problem. So 
Yeah. And now I've really taken that experience and have been lucky enough to do a pretty wide range. So I was able to focus a lot on the creative aspects of the company. Obviously, tech and the startup landscape became my home. And at the same time, we had a lot of investors who were in the entertainment space and in music specifically. And so I've taken all those buckets. And now in my day to day, I get to do a bit of it all. So I uh, work as a creative consultant for a number of different companies, um, really focusing on connecting the dots between a brand narrative, how you show up in the world. So that's the storytelling aspects of a brand with the impact of a brand. So what are your major impact factors? How do you actually change society, culture, um, you know, give back with true actual impact? Um, and then the talent aspect, which is, I would say, the entertainment side. So how do we get as many eyeballs and as much influence to support that brand and impact conversation? So that's a bit of the day-to-day. Um, and I get to work with a number of CPG clients, with musical artists, with different talent. Um, but I also am still incredibly passionate about um, making cultural shifts and creating impact. So mental health and wellness is also a huge passion for me. So I would say it was, I, I'm in this phase of my life where I can take and choose and create from a number of different parts of my experience through startup. Um, and I'm very thankful for the, the diverse set of work that I get to do day to day now. Yeah, I was going to say that's super cool. When I was even reading your bio, I think to see all the different areas that you're getting to like dabble in and different clients that you get to work with and companies. Um, I think that's super cool. And I think even what you were sharing earlier about your company um, with, you know, that focus on the socially conscious consumer. I mean, of course, there's only, I think we're only going to continue to see an increase in that with people really looking at the places they're buying from like what are those what is the impact those places those companies have on the the you know greater society and community and really evaluating the brands we buy and those choices we make when we are purchasing from all different places um I really also appreciated you sharing a little bit about the storytelling work you're doing because I think that's something we've seen and just even through COVID you know how quickly, you know, brands and, and all the commercials we're watching had to shift their, you know, pitches and the story they were sharing about their company to make sure they were meeting the immediate needs of all of us. So I think that 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 area of storytelling is a huge, it's going to, we're going to see so much change, I think, in that realm too. Yeah. And how authentic is that story? That's a huge question right. too. I would say that the new generation, you know, Gen Z is have a very high BS meter when it comes to social impact because it's something that has been around now for over you know 15 years. And so um, one of the companies that I, I do get to work with quite often is P&G and they obviously have a huge, huge impact on the market and a huge ability to make a massive change in any you know social kind of space that they want to. Right. But what... I really, really appreciate is that PNG has been highly involved in the conversation around race and bias mm-hmm. for over six, seven years. So this is not something that's trendy for them. It's not something that they saw an opportunity during, especially during Black Lives Matter last year and mm-hmm. a lot of the um, protests that were happening. It was It's authentic to who they are as a company. It's something that they spent and invested millions of dollars into for a number of years. 
and when the rest of the you know social cultural space caught up to these conversations they were really positioned and we were able to work with them on amazing campaigns that really dove deeper into those topics versus taking advantage of the opportunity that right. you show off you're doing good in the world. So I think that there's a lot of work to be done shifting the social impact conversations and the fact that consumers are demanding it and also demanding transparency at a very clear level of that work. Right. It, like I could not have imagined that we could be in this space by 2021 um, when I first started at Rue because it was so, it felt so far away to think that the consumers could demand the brands to pay attention to doing well with, you know, what, what besides making profit. So. Yeah. I was going to say for sure, echoing everything you said of like, I think all of us, right. It's like seeing that the brand is walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And like you said, being able to quickly see, like, do you really mean what you say? Well, we're going to take a look at your actions and what you're actually doing to evaluate whether or not this is a true value of your company, or it's just, you know, in, in the moment response. Yeah, for sure. So going back in time, um, as an international development studies student at UCLA, I know you had shared a little bit about how, you know, your company kind of started as this initial project, you were with some friends and classmates. Um, but how did you start to figure out, you know, what you wanted to do after you graduated? Did you have any significant experience at UCLA that kind of led you to these the area of kind of, you know, tech entrepreneurship entertainment? It's a great question. And I've thought about this, especially as I've been talking to graduating seniors or even juniors at UCLA. And I had always known that I wanted to work in kind of the international global space. It was something, and I was really lucky growing up, um, you know, family and parent wise, where it wasn't about what you did, but more so about how passionate and committed you were to something and making sure that you really unearthed what you were good at, what you wanted to create, what you wanted to do, and kept steady on that. And so um, I originally thought that I wanted to do Doctors Without Borders or something in the medical field, although the bigger North Star was always global impact, um, especially in developing communities uh, that I, I was passionate about. And so going to UCLA, obviously, international development was a perfect major. It was very diverse, multi, you know, disciplinary. You, you could go across anthropology and sociology. And so I really enjoyed having that breadth and depth as well. Um, and so as a senior, I actually did take quite a bit of steps towards getting a job in Washington, D.C. I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to go governmental or NGO or and I had a couple of job offers, but to be honest, I always knew that it wasn't the North Star for me. And so I didn't set out to join tech. I would say that I had no idea what the tech industry was. I had no idea what startups were. My family is very entrepreneurial. And so I wasn't terrified of ever starting something. And I was always pretty creative and pretty risk taking. I'm not very risk adverse. So I just knew that graduating college, like I had an, an amazing opportunity that I probably wouldn't have later in my life 
to take a lot of risks and to learn as much as I could. So the goal wasn't for me to land a super stable and secure financial job. That wasn't something that I sought after. I wanted to find something that would teach me a lot, that would push me a lot, and that I could feel ownership over. And so following my kind of kooky ideas felt like a bit of a grad school versus me needing to figure out what exactly I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So it, UCLA is a great environment for that because there's access. It's in LA, you have access to so, ma- so many different industries yeah. and you have access to an insane amount of knowledge. If you're asking the right questions to the UCLA community and universe and alumni, you will get phenomenal knowledge that others just don't have access to. So that was a big part for me was I went through Startup UCLA, which is an accelerator. We had multiple, multiple um, experts, founders, investors come through. And it was like grad school. It was like my own version of grad school. So yeah, I would say they were incredibly serendipitous in a way, the way that I learned. But I knew I had to position myself at a university and in a community and in a city that offered me diverse access um, because I didn't have one path fully figured out. Mm-hmm. And I prefer it. It's a little bit more fun that way for me. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's also validating for so many that are, you know, either young alumni or even those that are getting ready to graduate especially I think the majority are in the boat of not having it figured out and feeling like there's multiple, you know, lanes that they'd like to kind of, you know, dip their toes in. And I think that's just reassuring to hear, you know, that really when, after you graduate or as you're getting ready to graduate, that is the time that you have a little more, usually I'd say flexibility to take some risks or try to try out different things and kind of figure out what sticks, right? It's like that, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall or whatever. Um, so I think that's just, yeah, very reassuring for probably many of our listeners to kind of hear how just finding those different things that works, talking to different people. And I think, like you said, that, you know, echoing the UCLA community and the knowledge that's there and taking advantage of that while you can and meeting people is only going to bring, you know, so many different opportunities to people. Yeah, I would say that my network and people talk about like, oh, how do you build a network? I mean, my, our network and our relationships were the only resource we had as founders. We didn't have money in the bank. We didn't have a team. We didn't have a product, but we had this community of mentors, investors, like even people who didn't invest in us. But they were all stem, they all stemmed from the UCLA community because of Startup UCLA and because I was, you know, reaching out to alumni. That was our main resource. That was the only reason why we learned how to pitch a company. We were able to get feedback. We were able to get mentors. We were able to go to Forbes and pitch on stage in, uh, in front of a thousand people. And it was, and, and now I would say I'm really lucky to have probably one of the best networks because I learned the importance of developing relationships and asking good questions and providing value for those relationships and for my mentors more than just a mentee-mentor relationship that has and still is my number one resource. It's absolutely not my, you know, uh, you know, a 
dollar amount in the bank or the power influence that I have in this city. It's actually the real relationships that I, that I, that I keep close. And so UCLA absolutely is a breeding ground for great relationships. If you know how to engage and bring value. So yeah, I'm going to say the wealth of your network, like that, like you said, versus, you know, what the number in someone's bank account, like that network, like it's, it is powerful. And I think being able to hear it through so many of these interviews of people even talking about, oh, I'm, I'm doing this work and I'm actually working with a fellow, fellow Bruin on this initiative. And just to hear the connections made, um, I think is really powerful. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say too, just about like the period after you graduate, especially during COVID right now, it, it is one of the most terrifying times. And I've seen a number of students who feel like the whole world is crashing down because you go from being in this structure and the school system that you've been in since you can remember into this open canvas space and it's terrifying and you think you have to know exactly what you're doing for the next five years and I know this is such like an old person thing to say (laughs) like your 20s are about figuring out not what you want to do or not what you're meant to do or what your job is but actually your 20s are about understanding yourself and learning about what you're good at and what you're not good at and what you love and what you need and what your work love languages are and what your career love languages are. And there's so much that you have to experience in order to really understand the core things about who you are and what you love to do that will get you on that track to your quote unquote dream career or dream industry or whatever it is. And so I would say that your early 20s, especially after college, is just get out there and collide with as many people and ideas and pieces of passions that you have and be a little bit bold in getting after learning um, and potentially failing quickly so that you can really gather that momentum towards, you know, what is your, you know, North Star or True North. Yeah. Oh, I know that makes me sound really old because people would no. tell me all the time when I graduated, no. and I was just like, yeah, that's just what they say. Because they right. But now that I'm like, I'm almost 30, but like, <laughs> I just do feel like it's so true that if you don't do the work, I've had so many friends that are in their 30s who have to do it in their 30s. And it's, it's more excruciating because yeah. you spent 10 years trying to go down a path and that's not the path that makes you fulfilled in your work so anyways I'm right at this point but no I was gonna say I just like I you know wish I could have like you know I would have snapped multiple times throughout that whole answer because I feel the same way and it's so funny because I've given students and alumni that same advice that like it really is the time like you said it's not figuring out the dream career but it's learning about yourself and doing that reflection and trying out different things. And like you said, being open to different experiences, because that's what teaches you what sticks, what doesn't, what you hate, what you love and leads you hopefully to more like-minded people who share similar values and, you know, maybe wired similarly, but also find those people that are wired differently so that you can collaborate and work on some of those projects that really, you know, fill your, fill your cup up all the way and um, make you feel content and fulfilled in life. So yeah, I, completely echo everything you said and such, such sound advice. Totally. 
So as an entrepreneur, creative strategist, and producer, I know you have extensive experience in the startup and technology world. Working in these industries, of course, continues to be very popular for alumni and even current students getting ready to graduate. What's something you wish you would have known before entering kind of the startup and technology world? Um, it's a, it's a tough question. <laughs> what would I wish I knew? I mean, I wish I knew a lot. To be honest, I think if I knew more or knew how difficult starting a company would be, I might have never started. So in that way, there's a little bit of the ignorance is bliss when it comes to founding a company and just kind of like not knowing what you don't know isn't great, but being very ambitious to figure it out is great. Um, what I do wish that I did a little bit more was just be less worried about failure. I know that a lot of founders and startups, they tell you over and over, fail fast, fail fast, don't worry. But I think that I come from a very strategic and calculating backgrounds. Like I am definitely a risk taker. I am definitely okay with calculated risk, but I didn't understand as a founder how to calculate risk fast enough and how to really weigh the potential of failure versus potential of outcome. And so as the stakes got bigger, I actually ended up becoming less risk averse. And I think that was a little bit of a lesson that I took away. I don't know if I would have wanted it beforehand, but it's definitely a lesson that I take away, which is you have to be wise and you have to know, I mean, being a second time, third time founder is harder than being a first time founder because you are wiser and you are more terrified and you know how difficult the work is. I mean, right. I was on this panel or I wasn't on the panel, but I was listening to this panel literally last night where Elon Musk is on Clubhouse, which is the new oh, right. um, social media tech thing. And he literally, someone says like, what's your advice for young founders to be just like you? And I totally agree with him. He said something like, you do have to have kind of a dark side to you where there's just something so important that it, you can't forget it. Like you want to create something so bad, but it's kind of in a dark place in your brain and it just keeps nudging you. And it's a little bit like an obsession. And I agree with that. It, starting a company is not the, I want to be a CEO founder like romantic viewpoint of that it's more so that there's something that won't let you sleep at night and it becomes this obsession so there's a dark side to being a founder but he also said like starting a company is literally like chewing glass like it's so hard it's so <laughs> painful and and, it, and it's true and so wow. I think that like another thing that I, I definitely always recommend to founders is that should never stop you um, but just make sure that what you are building is something you love deeply and you are so passionate about because it's too hard otherwise like if if I mean he says I know this is horrible but he literally says like if someone needs to give you words of affirmation to do your company because you're not sure it's not the right thing right um and I absolutely believe that so I do kind of wish that I might have known a little bit more about, 
you know, the the path, but at the same time, I, ignorance is bliss, especially. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot in there. I think that people who are considering, you know, pursuing their own venture or exploring, you know, a startup or something like that, or have an idea. I think there is, you made great points about things to consider and really making sure that you're fully committed and invested. Like you said, that there's something that keeps you up at night. Like it needs to be that strong and kind of deep in your soul that it is going to be worth the chewing on glass and all of those obstacles, you know, you're going to face um, throughout that journey. So definitely, I think important points for people to think about as well as, you know, like you said, you don't know what you don't know when you're in it and learning quickly from those mistakes to be able to, you know, kind of make up ground where you need to. Yeah. So from your bio and hearing you speak before, uh, I know mental health and well-being is an important topic to you. As someone with a full workload and lots of service and leadership involvement to UCLA and other company boards and councils, how do you prioritize time for yourself and setting those healthy boundaries between kind of work and life? I, I definitely didn't at all have any boundary separations between work and life, especially in startup world and straight out of college going into startup and then going into consulting and then going into, you know, where I am now, there actually hasn't been much of this work and life separation. That being said, I think what has helped me is understanding a bit of my inner gut, inner voice of how I am doing. And what I mean by that is, yes, one, you have to have your routines and the things that fill you up outside of work, right? And so for me, a morning routine is really important. Um, Getting up and just, you know, if it's journaling, if it's meditating, if it's something that you enjoy that gives you the time and space to parse out what's going on from either the day before, what's about to happen, that's so, so important. I, I think your brain and your body tell you a lot of things and if you don't know how to pay attention and listen you'll get into trouble both on a wellness side on a mental health side and in a work side there's a lot of like I believe in that like sixth sense gut instinct and if you don't hone that you're missing a lot of information so I I think morning routines are really important obviously I'm a health and and fitness kind of nut so yoga helps me a lot and just giving myself breaks throughout the day helps a lot. So it doesn't feel like I am enslaved to a desk or my computer from nine to five. And I've never worked that way. I've always been the the person that the more I flip between things, the more present, the more energy, the more I can show up. So I do try to add as much breaking of routine throughout my days after my morning routine as I can to just create that new inspiration, new energy, new, new um, perspective. So that helps a lot, especially during COVID. I think it is nice to have some gaps in your day where you know you're stopping and transitioning. Like after a certain time, you know, if you are working nine to five and you have to be on till five and six, definitely what helps me is making sure that I have some sort of mental transition between the things that I'm doing so that I can mark to my body, my brain, that there is a rest period. 
Um, and a big part of that, I know this sounds so, and I won't get too geeky, but a big part of that is the changing of how you breathe. And it's so woo woo sounding, but there's so much biology neurology study, you know, uh, uh, science behind this, that the only thing you can really control in your involuntary nervous system, the only signal that your brain can get is how you're breathing. So if you're breathing really shallow all day and you're sitting in front of a computer, your body is getting signals that you are in this like sitting and low energy, low space, um, which is fine. But being able to change up that will give your body and brain signals that things are, you know, your day is changing or, or your mentality is changing. So I definitely think that's a bunch of random tips, but the best thing to do is really get a good sense of what your body is telling you. So listen to it. If you're exhausted when you wake up in the mornings, if you're exhausted at certain times in the day, you've got to learn why. And you've got to learn how to pick up those signals from your body in advance. So some days on a Monday, if you're just not feeling up to something, you've got to figure out how to listen and to properly adjust. And if, if that means you have to eat differently or you have to exercise differently or you need to get out or whatever it is, I really do think that for me, the balance between pushing myself really hard in my ambition and in my work and the balance of needing to also take care of myself comes down to making sure that I'm listening to what's the biggest priority at that time and being able to adjust properly and flipping between all the different priorities that I have in my life because I'm somewhat in tune with what I need. So it takes a long time, but it's definitely been a process. I still, which I still, you know, really struggle with is I get very ambitious and very obsessed with, with something around work. And then I sacrifice, you know, the well-being aspect. So right. it's a, a spectrum of, of push and pull and understanding what you need. Yeah. Wow. Those were, I, I appreciated so many of those tips and I'm sure those listening will too. I think, like you said, being able to, you know, listen and cue into both like mental and physical cues from your body of when you are needing that rest or just a break. Um, I loved your tip too, about building in, you know, especially if you are more in the nine to five schedule, nine to five schedule, building in those breaks. And like you said, allowing your body to know that there are periods of transition and you can come back with that. I know that's helped me attend to is like finding opportunities for that break. And that way you come back with just kind of a re-energize, you know, new level of focus and can kind of just sit down and, you know, it's, it's much better. I feel like when you get a break and especially now all of us on the screen so much, it's like being able to step away. And like you said, even, you know, thinking about how you're breathing and taking a moment to maybe, you know, do a meditation throughout the day or something on headspace or whatever it may be like figuring out what works for you to kind of get that recharge time is so important. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what's one of the best pieces of career or life advice that you've received from someone? Ooh, one of the things that sticks in my mind, and I've gotten this from a couple people is, uh, ask really smart questions to the right people and you'll figure it out. And so I'm, I'm a big problem solver. I'm definitely someone who is always keeping curious about things and I would say probably naively 
um, not afraid of tackling an industry or a project or something that I've never done before. And so the best piece of advice, at least for, for my personality type and, and for, for those, especially who are wanting to go into startup is make sure you know enough to ask really smart questions because great questions can get your foot in the door. When people say, how do you after a panel or how do you meet people or how do you like, you know, become, how do you engage with people? And I would say the number one way to stand out from a crowd or to really pique somebody else's curiosity is making sure that you have really good questions that get them excited to answer. So there's a networking piece there of how right. to feel like you're bringing value because you're piquing curiosity and hopefully inspiration in the other person by showing either a different perspective or getting them excited to share something that they've learned. But also it's the fastest way to learn. I mean, my dad is a reader. I mean, he has thousands and thousands of books and I, I get it from him as well. And we both are obsessed with books, but my dad's advice always was, if you find the right person, and you ask them the right question, you will get the answer faster yeah. by 100x than reading a book. <laughs> right, right. And it might be more <laughs> raw and it might be even more unfiltered and real and therefore applicable to what you're doing because you hopefully are being specific in how you ask that question. So that's something that I always think about, even though I feel like maybe, you know, X amount of years in an industry or in a job, you might think you figured it all out, but you still can definitely learn a lot if you are asking really good questions. And typically asking a good question means you've done your homework and at least you have a basis understanding of what's going on. So, you know, if, if you're asking a question that's a level one question and everybody, you know, in that room could ask the same question, then I doubt that that answer is going to be all that valuable or that that person's going to be all that intrigued because they've been asked that question a bunch of times. So right, right. something to take away in terms of learning and again, building your network and also being a little bit, um, putting yourself in those positions again for the serendipity and the accidental relationships and collisions that actually are more valuable than anything you tried to um, coordinator plan out. So, right. Yeah. That is such great advice about the questions you're asking and being thoughtful, because I think it's, it's funny whenever I've talked to, you know, students in terms of like career advising or anything like that as preparing for interviews, like I always say, whenever they ask you at the end, you know, what questions do you have for us? A, like the answer is always that, yes, you have questions, like have those prepared, but B, you want to make sure that you're not just asking really easy grabs that are like on their website, right? Then, like you said, those people are going to be like, oh, we've, you know, answered that before, or that's, you know, directly on our website. And it shows if you ask those more thoughtful kind of deeper questions, it shows that you have done the research and you've, you know, taken time to care and learn and, and be curious about just the bigger picture and the things that you can't read on a website. Um, and I know for me too, like whenever I've been in, interviews or even done informational interviews with students or alumni, those that have asked those questions that really kind of made me go, whoa, like, you know, made me take a step back and say, that's a really great question because it's like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like this should be interesting to share because it's new and fresh. Like those are the people that have are memorable to me. And so I think that is such great advice about 
just how you can use questions to really, you know, gather the information you need and build those connections. Yeah. And stand out. I think yeah. that even on social media, you know, even right. on Twitter, even on clubhouse, whatever it is, yeah. like, I think a lot of young students have a hard time trying to figure out how to even break in or yes. how to approach. And actually this time more than ever, you have access to people. The access now is unheard of compared right. to, you know, years ago where the only way you could ever get to someone was waiting for them after a panel. Exactly. Straight at someone, you can reach out on LinkedIn. You can, so there's, again, how do you stand out is still the question, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So my final question is since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? Mm -hmm. Success definitely changes in seasons for me. And it really is backtracked to what are my objectives and priorities for this season. So, you know, in the startup days, success was ranging from raising money to reaching certain revenue milestones to reaching certain growth milestones. But that success wasn't necessarily personal success either. I think during that time for me, I knew that my chances of like coming out on top and, you know, at, at huge success in a startup world were really low because it's so difficult. The chances of a successful startup are so low. So for me, success was learning as much as I could, building as much of a network as I could, and making sure that I was doing really solid, great, and creating great work. So if that meant creating impact, or if it meant that I was treating my team properly, or if it meant that I was, you know, putting my best foot forward in front of investors and advisors who respected the decisions I was making. So in startup world, success definitely ranged um, from a personal to professional level. I think now, success is a little different. I feel less driven by outcomes and more by the process. So if I get to do work that combines multiple things that I love to do, and it does create a ripple effect into culture or society in a positive way, that's a huge success for me. And I definitely had to change my thinking around, do I want to be a serial entrepreneur? Does success only mean, and this is a big question for first-time entrepreneurs once they transition into potentially a second-time entrepreneur is, am I defined by starting a company? Am I defined by a company? Am I defined by my role, my CEO title, my founder title? And for me, the answer was no, was I started a company because I couldn't sleep at night because that idea hit me. I don't want to start companies just because I feel like that's what my identity is. And so I've been really patient in the creative process of when another idea hits me and I won't be able to sleep at night, I will seriously consider it. Until then, my job is to keep growing and creating and exploring and expanding what I love to do, learning what I love to do, and also learning the value that I bring to other communities, industries, and careers. And so 
I committed in the last three years to just kind of saying yes to a lot of things and get going as wide as I possibly could instead of deep because I went deep for so many years in the tech space. And I think it was an incredible decision because I was able to flex old muscles, especially around creative work and production work and, um, uh, you know, documentary and, and film and TV work that I would have never, ever, ever been bold enough to try to explore into unless I had given myself that metric of success. It wasn't how far I could go in one space. It was actually how much I could gain in experience. So success definitely changes and it all starts with really sitting down and I do this every quarter. What are my priorities for this quarter between community, finances, family, health, um, career, creative, network, all of those things. I put all those things in a bit of a, of a structure. And I think about well, what, what do I really want to create and build in these categories? And then I prioritize them. What's number one, what's two and three. So that I know how to spend my time. I know how to track my progress. And I also can look back and say, was I successful? I don't have to be successful at all nine of these things because that's what people want to do and it's very overwhelming and you end up not being able to do any of them well right so you know even seasons where I've had to go home and just be a caretaker for family that was a successful time for me because that was what I committed to in this season of life and I was fulfilled because I intentionally decided that that's what I wanted to do and so I think that personal alignment of expectation, priorities, and outcome is really important for self-fulfillment and satisfaction. And I think there's a lot of restlessness, especially in millennials and Gen Z around always wanting to be somewhere else or do something else and never really understanding and being understanding why and what you're doing right now. And so that's helped me in feeling grounded and well, what were my key questions for this quarter? What were the things I wanted to learn? What did I take away? And did I do that? Am I in a season of growth where I'm pushing, 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 or am I in a season of hibernation where I'm really simmering and understanding self and really, um, you know, taking those personal lessons internally and they, they constantly change. Um, and I, I tell a lot of my mentees that you have to know from the data points of who you are and all the experiences you had, what season are you about to enter into and how can you find fulfillment in that season? Because there are always environmental factors you won't be able to control. So COVID is actually a really good time because there are new opportunities that no one's ever seen before. You have new spaces and places and ways of living and routine breaking that you have to deal with. And there's a lot of personal growth that hopefully, you know, feels uncomfortable right now, but it's an amazing period. If you're willing to, you know, look forward at what you want to create as much as it's very difficult and very few people, you know, I have a lot of gratitude for that space to be able to do that right now. Right. Of um, course. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I loved your answer. And it's always so always so fun because everyone answers that question so differently but I loved um, what you shared about the seasons and I think that's something that you don't think about when you're really in it you are just focused on right like you know making sure that you're doing what you're doing well and meeting deadlines and finishing these tasks and 
um, all those kind of check marks and to do's. But I think like you said, such a, such an important point to think about the season you're in and really taking a look at, I loved your idea and, and what you shared about, you know, looking at the different aspects of your life and kind of those buckets of, you know, like you said, career and learning and family and whatever, and all those things that fill our lives and making kind of just, you know, the priority list and being able to reflect on that, evaluate at the end of a certain time period. I think that is such great advice and I think helpful for us to feel like we're making progress. And sometimes even through the hard times or the failures, you can look back on that list and see, okay, there were, you know, in three, these three areas, I was able to do that versus like you said, you're trying to, you know, achieve in all those areas. You're not going to give, you could be able to give hundred percent in every bucket. So I think that's just such, such, you know, great advice to be able to think about success in a different way and to break it down. I think in more manageable um, aspects that feel like, okay, I can get these small wins if I really outline what's important to me right now. Yeah. Especially as people talk about work-life balance and, you know, how do I do it all? And it really isn't about doing it all. It's about deciding what you can do and when and making sure that if there's a season where your health and your mental wellness is a huge priority, then you have to give that time and not try to work you know, another priority on your list. So I definitely think that was a hard lesson for me to learn, especially after startup. I was so burnt out. I was so exhausted. I didn't understand my body or what I needed. And um, if I didn't slow down, it would have taken me, you know, three or four times as long to recover or get back into a place where I was giving my best uh, work-wise forward. So, yeah. Yeah. Those, those hard lessons that it's great when you learn them early um, and being able to make the, the adjustments you need to make so that things you can operate better and you can take care of yourself better through that too. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And as a member of the UCLA Alumni Association Board of Directors, Thank you so much for your continued support and service to UCLA. We are so grateful to have alumni like you who have dedicated a significant part of their lives to making UCLA a better place for the next generation of Bruins. So thank you for all you do for UCLA, Anne. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Big question. Thank you. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Anne Wang of Enru. You can find more information on Anne in the description of the episode. Follow UCLA Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin Success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we're back with another inspiring Bruin. This podcast was made possible by UCLA Alumni.